1: This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend.
0: Welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast, talking life and league for 45 minutes or thereabouts every week of the year. One big in-depth feature interview each week with one of the biggest names in the greatest game and all the big issues as well dissected by the Love Rugby League team. Download us on Spotify, Apple and do please leave a review as well and all the other major podcast providers. And make sure to follow Love Rugby League on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive news and features from right across Rugby League. You can find us online at loverugbyleague.com. This is the Love Rugby League podcast.
1: Keep up with all things Rugby League, 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com.
0: So this week's big interview is a double grand final and Challenge Cup final with a member of the iconic Leeds Rhinos teams of 2015 and 17 and now at Featherstone Rovers as they push for Super League as well. Adam Cuthbertson, welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast. How are you doing?
2: Very well, very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to have
0: you on. Um have been looking forward to, to having this chat with you. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Leeds in due course, but... Uh, you're up nice and early. You've got your, your Rovers attire on. You're very much part of the Featherstone promotion push. How has how has this season been for you at Featherstone?
2: I must say, I'm, I'll try not to stand up during this interview because I do have the Featherstone attire on from the <laughs> upper half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're well, more and below. So. Um, no, it's been great. Uh, it's been a great season. There's been uh, plenty of lessons for myself. Um, I suppose the players um the staff involved this year um throughout the whole year in fact uh because you know it, I, I suppose people assumed it would be smooth sailing for us uh the entire year, and you know there was a lot of expectation going into the year um with mac um um being um titled the head coach at the club, and um you know I was really fortunate to to pick up a role um, where I could, uh, you know, sort of finish the career, I suppose, as a player and, and um, move into that coaching aspect of my, of my career and my life um, this year, which has been, you know, really exciting for me as well. Um, and I've been very grateful of uh, Mac backing me to, to be able to juggle the both. What's it been
0: like? Obviously, you played under Mac at, at Leeds, which we'll talk about it in a sec, but kind of straddling the... Being a colleague alongside him as a coach in that little office, you have <laughs> reviewing the games and then having to go out and try and remember what he's told you to do as well. What's that relationship been like? Because he he's an odd bugger at times, isn't he?
2: that has been great. He's put a lot of trust because I so I oversee the um the offense basically um and the attacking game plans and stuff like that. And all, obviously he has a overriding input. Um, what that looks like you know if he doesn't like something he's obviously going to he's obviously going to mention it or or help uh, or look at adjusting things but uh overall he's been really good you know he's been really open um he's been really trusting which is huge for what I you know I feel from someone in his position um you know he doesn't he doesn't you know try to micromanage or anything like that He just absolutely trusts um the knowledge that I can bring to the table um, how I see the game, and and I suppose that's why from the get go um, it was always going to be a good pairing, um, as well as, well as uh, Ian Hardman, uh, and uh, in the in the staff there as defensive coach, we all, you know, sort of have a very similar idea um, about how we'd like our teams to play. Uh, we acknowledge that from the get go, um, and it's been really really smooth sailing. Ever since um, a lot of a lot of the ups and downs we've had through um, trying to manage a team um, through a long season, uh, as, as well as you know we had a lot of people um, come and go throughout the season, unfortunately, um, but that's just the nature of professional sport, and we've managed to 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 deal with it really well as a group, as a um, as a team, and, and I feel like this last eight weeks is just we have just been ramping up really nicely um obviously you know the outsider's perspective will will say otherwise you know some people will anyway, some people will see the results rather than um where we're working to um obviously we have a a, a bunch of um uh objectives and targets that we we implement each week at training. Um, and we've been ticking them off just nicely, so we're starting to really start. We're really starting to hum as a group. Uh, Halifax was it was nice and close, but you know they're, they're uh, you know a nice and close game for us the other week. But they're they're sort of ones you need to be playing um, back into the season, and I think the best is yet to come from us still over this uh, next couple of weeks. So uh, be very exciting.
0: Uh, and, and with respect to the other. Team's still involved. It it's basically about beating Lee if you're going to get into Super League. That's the that's the big question, the simple question. And I'm, I know Brian McDermott spoke a lot after the Cup final defeat about having to work out between then and now how to do it. Uh, are you close to working out how to beat Lee?
2: Yeah, I think what's always been clear in our minds what it's going to take to beat Lee, uh, and that's why I sort of speak about an eight week. Um, uh, process that we've been going through, you know, obviously the Lee are, uh advantage by being full-time um, team, they get the the maximum recovery, maximum speed and strength, maximum training in the right of the hours together each and every day, whereas we've got guys grafting for you know fifty hours a week, and and turn up the training in the afternoon, so. And we're about to really do a, a, a good job and, and Lee Patterson's done a, a brilliant job with it, and along with Mac, of managing the group in the right way, in the right manner, which will help them uh, produce the right numbers for the last eight weeks to more or less get to a point where we're stronger, fitter, mm-hmm. and um, more, if, more than anything, on the same wavelength, Um you know attacking in both both attack and defence come come the uh come the semi-finals really cuz you know battley are going to be a tough ass this weekend they're going they've obviously had a uh run of good performances against us this year um so you know we obviously need to do a great job this weekend before we can even consider leading but you know everything everything we've done leading up to now is to to you know, aim for aim for the the top of the table and, and and put ourselves in the best position to go challenge at the at the end of the year.
0: Uh, well, speaking of of semi finals, grand finals, and Brian McDermott obviously leads us nicely into to Leeds Rhinos, uh, who, who extraordinarily are back in the Super League grand final. We'll, we'll talk about some of your memories of of the ones you played in in fifteen and, and seventeen, and that brilliant area you had under Brian at, at Leeds what about this story this season how have Leeds rescued where they were 11th in the Super League table people talking about relegation Richard Agar walking off a relatively unknown Rowan Smith coming in and suddenly here they are it's extraordinary
2: I think everyone always wants to talk about relegation when it comes to Leeds because it excites people for whatever reason um, mainly outside of the LS postcode anyway um, but there was never any doubt that they couldn't rescue this. For me, um, knowing what the club's about and, and knowing the majority of the boys still in that squad, there's you know for me it was never a doubt that they could rest couldn't rescue the season. I think you know uh, for whatever reason things weren't working out with um, you know the the st- structuring going into games and and there's a few people that I feel don't feel like they were cuffed but just weren't getting. The full potential out of them each, you know, each and week, namely the halves. The halves probably weren't clicking um, as well um, as they would have liked to be. I think Rowan's just been able to come in, I suppose. And this is, you know, from an outsider's perspective. And I hate to hate to make any sort of, um, you know, I hate to speculate and why and why something didn't work and why something is working. But um, from what I can see, it just seems I feel like it's just been. Um, the 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 slate's been wiped clean, you know, um, with those boys, and I feel like they've just they've got a new lease on life, and 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 how they want to play and attack, and I think whatever Rollins brought in's obviously excited them. I think that's the the main thing I take away from it. It's excited them, and they're um and and challenging them in a way um, that they may not have been at the beginning of the year, um, and that that can happen when new coaches come in, you know. Um, because it almost gives you like a uh, a really dangerous attitude, which is like, we've got nothing to lose sort of thing. Um, but in saying that, you know, you only got to look at the past to see yeah, um, that leads have a history of, 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 you know, falling in that fifth position or falling into an under underdogs, um, having an underdogs tag going in the finals, and people write them off and stop looking over their shoulder and, the talent that Leeds continue to produce and recruit um, gives them every opportunity to go do something special when it comes to finals because, as we all know, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough old sport, Rugby League, you know, um, the, mo- the, best, the most consistent performers all year don't necessarily lift the biggest trophy that's up for grabs. Um, it actually only comes down to, in, in today's game, um, three matches. To, to lift the biggest trophy. So if you can find some sort of form um, back into the season, or at least find yourself into a, get yourself into a final um, and then just absolutely go for it, anything's possible. And it seems unfair, but that's the way the game is. That's how, you know, that's how it's structured. So, uh, and and personally, I think it's great for the game going forward because um, that puts bums on seats and, and, the underdog tag really excites people, you know. You know, you're going to look at some of the finals over last year. Yes, disappointing that in the Super League, and I'm probably going a little bit off the question here. Yes, it is uh, a little bit disappointing that there's only been four teams in the Super League the last, you know, 25, 27 years. But for whatever reason, one of the, the bigger teams, such as the Leeds right now, always seems to have an underdog, you know, title. You know, just a few weeks ago, everyone was talking about uh, the Wiggins and the Saints and even the Salfords was exciting to start watching, you know, the the the, the, the sort of style of rugby they were playing. Um, Cass leads back in the year, challenging for that last position. Cass were doing a great job um, to find a bit of form with some of the injury crisis they've gone through. Um, so just... Yeah, it just makes for an exciting part of the year. And I think um, I'd hate to see that ever change. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to go on in the future. But I think to answer your question short, the uh, Leads have always thrived um, in this position. And I think they'll be a dangerous team for it on the weekend because of it.
0: I think what, what staggers me about what Leeds have done, you mentioned when they've done it before, 2011-2012 under Brian when they did it from you know, from down fifths and sixths, very similar run. I think 2012, they've had exactly the same run. They went away to Catalan, away to Wigan. A lot of people are saying, oh, 10 years on, it's happening again. But those sides had had players who could drag you through. They had Maguire, they had Burrow, they had Sinfield, they had Jamie Peacock, Kylie Lulua, players like that. I look at this Leeds team and I I don't necessarily, with all due respect, I don't necessarily see that, which is... Why it's taken me back thinking, how has this team come together and still got the results
2: that it has? But you got to remember, mate. Like Cam Smith, you know, he's been he's been a brilliant um, he's been a brilliant player for years and someone that's slowly pro- progressed through the ranks. You know, even though he was a superstar from a young age, he's probably and and this after I can I can admit I had conversations with Cam. Um, in around my time at Leeds, especially um, in 2020 when he missed out on a final, I got I got picked um, to play in the final. Unfortunately, Cam missed out, and he probably wouldn't have known it at the time. But you know, moments like that in your career can do one or two things They can like push you forward and make you a million times better and a million times more hungrier, or or. You know, you can you can kick stones for the rest of your career and always moan about the one you missed out on. Um, I think Cam's absolutely, like, you know, taking the ball by the horns with um, the direction he wants to take his game and how he wants to play. And he's always stayed true to himself about his game and how he wants to play. And probably more importantly, that um, the players are back the way he plays and Rowan's back the way he plays. um it seems like that. that's an outside perspective again. It seems like Rowan's back the way he plays. And um, it's bringing the best out of him and his team because everyone in and around him is bought in. Um, as well as that, he came, you know, as well as the disappointment and learning from those disappointments can. Um, he's come through that, that era where the back, he's seen the back ends of um, the likes of myself, Wardy, um, Peacock, Simfield, Burrow, um, Kylie Lulai, Maguire, you know, he, he was around during that era. He was just a really young kid. So mm-hmm. to a degree, you know, he absorbed a lot of that, you know, and was able to to take that with him on his journey. And he is he is a very smart player, Cammy. And he'll be a, probably a good coach one day, to be fair. Um, because he takes those experiences, he absorbs it, and then he he uses it. He doesn't just like think there's only one way, you know, how I do things and and how I play he absorbs it all takes it into like um student of the game and you you just look at people like him Sutcliffe is another great another great one he he's been through it all um with that team you know so you still got leaders um amongst the group that have been through that era to a degree um so they do they have seen how it's done and they do know how it's done to a degree but haven't necessarily experienced it yet um, which I think, well, sorry, Brisk. I forgot Brisk. Brisk's been through it all, you know. So, you know, they're not, they're probably not the the names that you'd consider the superstars during that generation when um, the boys went through that golden decade. But flipping all, they've picked up a hell of a lot of experience and know how and knowledge in that time, um, which is probably coming out of them right now. Uh,
0: just on that golden decade, just uh, let's spend a couple of minutes reflecting on your your memories from that time you enjoyed great success winning it in when you came over you won it in 15 and then in 17 which was rob and danny maguire's final send off you know what what were your memories of playing in that iconic side with the surrounded by the legends you were and in particular playing you know with someone like rob burrow you as a guy who was a record offloader to have to have someone like Rob always on your shoulder. What was that? And you know, in and around, in and around the club as well with Rob.
2: Yeah, it was. Ah, uh, it was interesting. So for me, when I first came over, um, I landed. I landed in Leeds, not knowing. Yeah, I I knew the history behind Leeds and I knew some of the big names in, in Peacock and in Sinfield and was in awe of them actually. Especially the way they spoke and carried themselves in and around training and led. Um, you know, I was in awe of them. Uh, but it wasn't long before, you know, those people that you're like in awe of, you become good mates with and and you can start to learn in a really positive manner um from them. Um but yeah, when I first arrived to the country, I remember, I remember meeting up. Uh, I remember landing and just being grey and it was only like, I think it was like the morning when it sh- <laughs> the sun should have been blaring. It was like <laughs> night, 24-7 for the first couple of days I was uh, in the country. I remember catching up with Mac briefly on, um, I think I caught up with him for a coffee on Kirkstall Road somewhere. I just remember thinking, flippin' hell, there's this whole giant, um, and and to be fair, there was a lot of those in within the team, you know, with your with your your peacock, your um, um Singleton's, and and there was, was a big squad. It was a big squad, and I went to went to training that that first week, and um, you know, it was it was something about it really excited me because you know, I said this to Mac this year is when I first rocked up, um, some of the 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 systems weren't like were completely different to what I've just been learning in the past in um in my time under Wayne, you know, not completely different, but you know to to a certain degree where I'm like, oh I've gotta really consider that I've got to think about that and um it took me a week basically thinking do I say something? do I say something do I say something? And then you go for, went through the whole golden decade uh presentation night where they're talking about you know you know the last ten years of success and um i've I've been the only recruit by the way by this by this stage um so I'm sort of thinking about bringing up you know this philosophy of defense that I know or attack that I know um but then going through all these this period where I'm I'm learning about the club's success, and that. And then I just had this moment. I'm just like, you know, you you're an idiot. You're a dickhead. You got to buy in to what they've been doing because what they've been doing has been successful um, to a degree. Add an element of what you're really good at, which at the time was second phase, um, and and creating one on ones with with my ball playing. Um, so to a degree, buying absolutely buying in to that. Their philosophy and how they play and how they wanted to um, play that year, which mind you was really exciting once you buy in because it was a cha- like it really challenged you, um, and and a challenge I haven't had for a long period of time. I've always always had to play like a certain specific a specific way for so long, um, and a lot of and a lot of teams are very copy and paste to that to that extent. Um, so yeah, to just hear you know, the way Mac wanted to approach games and it was just it was just really exciting and sort of gave me a, a, like a kickstart in my career and, and and really made me want to like challenge myself um to some of these new roles and 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 um ways of playing. So I got through that and then um and then uh yeah it was just like as you can imagine it was such a great year. You know, once once I bought it in because everyone was buying in, and, and I bought in, and then people bought into me, and um, it just made it a really easy process. Um, and I think I've taken a lot away from that year, to be honest. Um, I've taken away a lot over my time um, from all the different coaches I've had, because I've had some brilliant ones. Um, but that year in particular was just a really a real big eye opener for me on leadership and 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 the power of unity and buying, because you know without. The, the whole squad buying into a certain way of playing. We would never have lifted the three trophies. And it, when you're in grand final week, you know we,
0: we, we spend a lot of time reminiscing and memories and watching back and talking about famous grand final moments. A lot of those seem to involve the likes of Rob Burrow and Danny Maguire, who you've played alongside. Are, are players like Rob and Danny, are they what make the grand final special, as an, you know, for the fan. Is, is it that platform for players like that to thrive?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at Rob and some of the achievements he's done, had in his career, a lot of them are highlighted within huge games, big games. Um, same with Magsie. Um Some of the, you look at, when anyone shows highlights to those two players, you always see huge moments from him in grand finals. Um, and I, I, you know, I think grand finals tend to come down to the 17 buying into a game plan, and, and it's a very defensive game plan come grand finals, you like not giving up territory, but then you need those players within the team that you need those players as in the Magsies and the Robs, and um, that you can give. A sniff, like give them a sniff, and they'll they'll take their opportunities. Give them an opportunity, and they'll just absolutely relish in it. Um, but with though without the you know the the other fifteen plays in and around them, then they don't ever get those moments. And I think that's what you have seen over the over the years with the likes of Robs and um, Magsies, because um, you just got to look back to that. So I know Robs had a lot of like terrific moments in grand finals, but you look back um, specifically to the 17 grand final, you know, that was a very um, defensive orientated game for for us. Like that's all we focused on because the conditions, the conditions were miserable. I, n- I've never played Manchester at that time of year and and the conditions haven't been wet and, and real, in the English term, slippy, I say slippery. Um, so it was all about defense. You know, we had we had a um, Stevie Ward that just had to get his shoulder surgically put back in to play only four days prior to before the game. Uh, myself, I, I I I did my knee and my ankle. I think the first ten minutes into the game, um, but the game plan was so specific about being just solid in defense and being solid in our kick chase and just having territory that. You didn't, I didn't need to like do anything dramatic with the ball, or you know, get carried away. I just had to keep turning up. Stevie just had to keep turning up. We just had to keep. All of us had to keep turning up to give the likes of Rob, or Joel Moon, or a um, Magsy, an uh, opportunity to go relish. And um, you know, that game, I must say, is the, probably the best performance I've ever seen from an individual in my career. Um, from the likes of um, Danny Flippinelli, he stepped up something else um yeah
0: um i'm i'm conscious we're uh, we're running out of time and we've not really touched on your NRL career you mentioned Wayne I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about what it was like playing for for Wayne Bennett and also i guess the two questions from your time in the NRL with, with Manly Cronulla and George Newcastle would be what Wayne Bennett was like as a coach and and the second one would be your experience of an NRL grand final which would have been 07 i think yeah. Um, so, if you give us a bit of insight on the, on those two things bef- be- before our time is up,
2: I've been really fortunate to do things in two. So, I've had I've been <laughs> two two grand final squads for NRL. Um, the seven grand final against Melbourne, which we lost, and then the eight grand final against Melbourne, which we won, which was my um, I spoke about Cam earlier. That was my experience of um, disappointment, um, and that was a game and a year. You know, in hindsight, I took away from, uh, and it took me a while to realize, but I, I had to use it as a learning curve and grow from it because I missed out. Um, I played the whole year and then missed out um, in the finals period, um, through to form off the back of an injury, um, and it was probably the toughest thing I've had to go through in my whole life, especially at that age and as a person that wanted to be successful as a as a player. But um, I think feel like after I pulled my finger out. And, and started stopped kicking stones and just unfortunately had to had to move away from the club, which I love so much. Um it wasn't until I was under someone like Wayne and I, I he helped me basically grow up in a sense. Um and I think because he's a real really good um man manager, Wayne, um uh and you know there's a lot of things about my game, obviously Wayne helped out with in terms of um, in terms of playing and understanding of how to play the game and how to get the best version of myself but the, the biggest thing that I took away from my time under Wayne was um, basically that that moment where he, he helped me get my life, like, got my life in order in, in, in to, a, to a degree and started helping me gain a little bit more self respect and, and understanding of how a professional athlete has to go about themselves on a day to day basis um, how to prepare um, how to train how to rec- all these things like educ- like very much just educated me um, not just in the perspective of life and how to deal with things in off on and off the field, but you know how to be become that professional athlete and how to get, squeeze the best out of myself um, and it wasn't done through like big lectures. It was very subtle, um, but very. I was very always very grateful of uh, of Wayne and my time under him, and um, to this day, you know, you know, I caught up. With, I caught up with him when he was when we were in Papua New Guinea when I was with the women's team, and you know, it's funny like when you have those moments and go through those those processes with people, they they do tend to hold a close place in your heart. Going forward, and when you catch up with them, it's like we're catching up with a good mate, you know, things just go out to normal. So, um, I was really lucky, I was fortunate. I had I had a really brilliant coach and Des Hasler as well, um, at Manly. Um, but I must say, when I was at Manly, I was young and naive, and 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 probably would say Des had, you know, I would have been a difficult human to coach at the time. Um, I was very much still just rugby was like. I was. Lo- I loved rugby, but um, I loved rugby, but I was still that kid from the area that was playing rugby, getting paid for it, like, big, you know, very exciting, but didn't have a professional element about me at all, you know? I, rug- I played rugby and then was with my mates every weekend, going out in town, da-da-da, so that cycle didn't help me in my the beginning of my career. And I suppose that education that, you know, I ended up lear- learning um, down the track when I went and was performing under someone like Wayne really helped me, um, you know, excel with my game and probably at the wrong time because when I was at Manly, I suppose that was like, you know, from my 20 to 20, sorry, I was there from a young age because I was through the academy, but you know, when I started playing first grade, I was like 20 to 23, 24 age of my life. And, you know, they're usually your best years as, a, as an athlete or as a rugby league player. So, yeah, I was a bit, you know, I look back in that in hindsight and I think I'm a bit, bit disappointed in myself in my approach. But, you know, not everything, everything works in, in certain ways for reasons. And and, I, and I, got the, I squeezed the best out of myself in the end anyway. So, you know, a lot learned. But I learned a lot under Des. He was brilliant. Absolutely, like genius um, when it comes to to rugby um, and how he uh, gets his teams to perform. Uh, And then, you know, had a really good time under Wayne. Um, Didn't win anything or wasn't a part of any big finals, but um, was a part of some really great teams that you know probably should have just fell a bit short of the the success they should have. Especially when I was at Dragons, Um, and then when I come over to. to England, yeah, it was just something else. Like you know, first year here under Brian again, um, very similar to Wayne and his approach to players, and um, especially myself and and um, and the player management side of things. And and we just did some great things, and, and we got live some um, brilliant, um, brilliant silverware in my time. Um, quick final question, then, which I,
0: I ask all our guests. We've we've just got a couple of minutes or so left. And you've touched on it there. You've spent a life in rugby league. What what has the sport taught you that has served you well and built you as the person you are? What lessons have you taken from rugby league that served you well in life?
2: Just getting a root like so. One thing from a young age, I never had. Um, I was I was always an overweight kid. Um, not always, sorry. That's I was an overweight kid for a long period of time. Uh, never really under, never really delved into too much detail on how to get fit or anything. Just assumed, you know, th- certain things, the way I went about certain things would help, and never really was educated and understood or, or cre- ever created a healthy balance of life. Um, you know, sort of bank or bust with everything. <laughs> with everything, I mean, like go hard on everything. Football, out with the boys. Um investments da da, like you know so um education um so the, the one thing i learned is just get get if you get a really healthy balance in life where and steve menzies was brilliant at this in my time at manly and i remember always thinking flipping oh i wish i could just switch off like him because he had this ability to train a million mile per hour really professional go through all the recovery this that and the other. i always wanted to Run off. I didn't want to hang around and do extras or do recovery or anything like that when I was younger. Um, but then, then once he like, you know, left the car park or got in his car to go home, then he managed to have a business and like different little hobbies that you know, created a healthy balance and a healthy lifestyle. And I remember, I'm not 100 percent sure if that's exactly how it looked for him. Um, that's just my perception of it. Um, but that's I remember thinking, I need to get being more like that and at the time obviously didn't follow through with it <laughs> but later in my years you know um you know i learned more and more as it went on um in my career and i feel like once i started getting that part right in my life um then everything else started to like you know i, I really started to Achieve success with, um, and a big part, big part of the reason why I've I've, I've done started my brand Local lager is not not because you know, and outside of perspective, we can assume I'm a flaming alcoholic because I, I um, I'm a beer brand, but it's not the case. I just wanted to um, offer something that people can get a healthy balance with, um, which is something that I really struggled with from a young age, um, and that that same concept is just with everything in life, not just, you know, that, that, that social, um, out with the mates part, but just everything, you know, from education to, to you know, diets to training to rehab to, so I just feel once you established a healthy balance, then, um, for me, everything else, um, tend to work out quite. Easy yeah. sailing. Uh, time's about to beat us. You've been a
0: great guest, Adam Cutherton. Thank you for being this week's uh- big <laughs> interview.
2: <laughs>
1: Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com.
0: So Adam Cuthbertson, this week's uh, big interview, some great insight there, both into his uh, time in the NRL, playing under uh, the great Wayne Bennett, Des Hasler, uh, and his time at at Leeds as well, uh, learning from the greatness around him, the likes of Rob Burrow, Danny Maguire, Kevin Sinfield, Jamie Peacock, and we got a bit of his insight as well into why he wanted to, to create a, and brew a low-calorie beer. Uh, so a bit of everything from Adam Cuthbertson there. Uh, Drew Darmish, Love Rugby League's assistant editor, is with us just to chew the fat for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Uh, let's start, Drew, with uh, the Man of Steel Awards, I guess. Um, various things to pick out of that. We saw Matty Pete get the Coach of the Year Awards. I think Jack Wellsby was was always going to win Young Player. And it was Brodie Croft winning the coveted Steve Prescott Man of Steel where Jay Field was streets ahead of him um, when voting went to dark in round 15. Uh, a lot of love for Brodie Croft. I thought he gave a great speech, but also the, the annual debate about, if is this the best way to uh, to crown a, a Man of Steel? For me, as a neutral, I love seeing Brodie Croft win that award. Uh, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. A lot of other people who are perhaps from more... Uh, Wigan local areas saying how on earth could Field not win that? And if Bevan French wasn't in his team, would he have got those votes and would he have walked it anyway? So a lot to debate. I don't think anyone would take anything first and foremost away from Brody Croft.
3: He's had a brilliant season, hasn't he, at Salford? And I'm delighted for him personally. He was battered in the NRL. I think Paul Rowley a couple of months ago now, George, came on, on this very podcast and he talked up Brody Croft about how he's thriving at Salford now, having been battered press-wise and in the media, in the NRL, for, uh, in his playing days at, at Melbourne and Brisbane. At uh, Brisbane, he was in a struggling side, wasn't he? Uh, and, you, and as a halfback, if you're in a struggling side, uh, it's always going to be tough. We've seen this year in Super League with George Williams at Warrington, he's been playing behind a beaten pack in a struggling side and he's not been his influential self. Uh, but he's shown he sh- he showed great signs this season. And uh, I think Williams will be back to his best next year under a, a powerful pack. Uh, but on on Croft, he was in a struggling Brisbane side. And and before that, he was he was kind of dubbed the next Cooper Cronk just because he was playing alongside him. And, and I, th- I think, uh, as Ryan Briley has alluded to, he plays nothing like Cooper Cronk. <laughs> so, so I don't know where the comparisons came from, to be honest, because... Apart from him being Australian and a and a playmaker, he, he's nothing like that that Cooper Cronk was uh, as a player. But he's he's kind of reignited his love for for rugby league since he's he's moved over to the UK with with Salford. He's been brilliant just on on, on the voting system. I think he I think it's important to note that Croft fully deserves the the Man of Steel award. I'm not taking anything away from that. I personally thought Jay Field was was going to get it. I think he's been terrific from. From for Wigan for from start to finish this season, but it, I think it's just the way the the voting system works. In that, if you play in a team who's performing slightly less than, than the top teams, then the the best players on on that given day are going to reap the rewards and reap the points. So, for example, yeah, uh, Brody Croft he's, he's been the standard for, for Salford in pretty much every single game. To, from the midway point of the season to the back end of the season. So he's going to be picking up three, maybe two points every single week. Whereas Jay Field, he's also got Bevan French playing out of his skin. He's got Liam Marshall playing out of his skin. uh, Harry Smith's had woe of a game this season. So I think when you're in a top team, maybe the top two teams like Wigan and Saints, then the points are spread out among more players, if that makes sense. Whereas, and I, I, I don't, I really don't mean for this to come across as disrespectful to Salford um, because this is not what I'm saying. It, I'm just, I just think if you're a, if you're a big fish in a small pond, then obviously you're going to stand out that a little bit more and you're going to get more credit. And I think that's the way the, the Man of Steel voting systems work. So obviously, if you're in the lesser team, then you're going to get the more points if you're in a, a bigger profile team, I'll say that with, with quotation marks, and you're going to get less points because they're more spread out. I think if you look at Saints in particular, uh Johnny Lomax, for example, he's a standout most weeks, but he shows the points with the likes of Wellsby, with the with the likes of Makinson, who have who also have standout games uh most weeks. What well, what are your thoughts on the voting system, George? Does it work? I, to be honest, I can't see a problem with it because Ultimately, the the best player always comes out on top. well yeah. uh,
0: there's a, there's a few I things. I don't, like, why,
3: I don't know why we can change it. To be honest,
0: there's a, there's a few things I would say on this. Um, one of which, which I noticed when I was going back, uh, I, I did a lot of studying on this yesterday, and like it surprised me that it's just how 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 many backs just win the award now every year. And yes, we've had a few hookers, haven't we, in recent years in McShane, Clark. Um, there was one other, was it Robic, I can't remember uh, there was there was three recent hookers anyway um, but they're effectively half depending on what, what team they're playing, in terms of big men you'd have to go back to 2008 and James Gray an actual forward so since the players, or, or the panel of players have been voting, it's been the kind of playmaker stardust players that have caught the eye, which actually I found really interesting because back in the in the heyday when they like Uzzy idiots in the press vote on it, there were a lot more you know, we were kind of recognising the BIP a bit more. So, so that was interesting. Um, in terms of of, of the vote, uh, I fully accept what you say, and I think you're right. But I would also say, having been to an awful lot of Salford games this year, since the voting went dark and we're guessing, a lot of those games, Tim Laffey would have got points. Ryan Briley would have got points. Sneed would have got points. It wasn't just a one-man show. It absolutely wasn't. I went to a few games where Brodie Croft was not man of the match. So I think the voting would still have been spread out there, but I take your point about Wigan in that there were superstars like French taking points off Jay Field, which is probably why he just about came up, up short. And I don't like you; I don't think if, if if Field had won Man of Steel, I don't think anyone would have said he didn't deserve it. Um, now in I the think build, all,
3: all three were, were worthy. Uh, yeah. I think I think Wellesby was always going to retain the Young Player of the Year award because he's he's been sensational uh, for for Saint Helens this year. But I think Crofton and Field were just further a- ahead than than what Wellsby was. I think for for Wellesby for uh, for me is that he gets moved around that much. He can never just focus on one position, and especially because Saints yeah. have had a lot of injuries this year, he's had to go in in the halves, and then he's been played at fullback. He's had to fill in at centre. So he's he's kind of being dotted around, hasn't he? As a utility player, but it, it's hard to 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 still think that he's only twenty one. I know, <laughs> because, because he's, he's played uh, more than eighty games for since since making his debut. He's he's already won. I think I think he's been part. I think he's played in two grand finals. He's this will be his third on on Saturday. <laughs> he's already been named in the Super League Dream Team twice. Like. Players don't achieve this in the whole career. And he's, yeah. he's done it at such a young age. It's 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 mad to think that he's still only 21 because he's got an, at least another 10 years at this level.
0: He's a, he's a born winner. What I love about his story is that when he talks about his amateur rugby when he ended up at Blackbrook at Saints, but he was at Shevington Sharks in Wigan. And he said he had to leave Shevington Sharks because he was too competitive for the age group he was in. It was like, I'm not getting anything out of this because these guys don't want to win as much as I do. I was like, right, you, you'll go all right, mate. Um, just one, one last thing on the Man of Steel voting. Like, I, 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 in the day leading up to Man of Steel, I rang uh, Sam Tompkins and Paul Schoolthorpe just to get their quotes on what makes a Man of Steel. And both of them said one thing, um, which which stayed with me, and that it's not just about excellence or consistent excellence; it's about your impact on those around you and raising the standards of the players who are also in your team, both on and off the pitch. And that's why I think Brady Croft is a worthy winner, because you look at Ryan Briley, Dion Cross, other players in that team, and the Akers, they've had the best seasons of their lives, right? Now, Wigan, yes, there's been some standout performance, but you know they're a team of superstars anyway. You know We, we couldn't say that their level was raised because of the way Jay Field was returning the ball. Well, I can say for certainty that those players at Salford, because they've told me, have had the best season of their lives because they've had Brody Cropped. And that for me yeah. is why I thought he was a worthy winner. That's the last thing I'll say on that. It was interesting, by the way, just just on a tangent, when I rang Sam Tompkins, he was being towed home from a garage in France. He was supposed to be over in in England, where he's he's having some physio on his knee. Um Somewhere in the northwest, I guess he might have even gone to the Man of Steel Awards. When I spoke to him, he would just paid twelve hundred quid to be towed home from a garage back to Perpignan. So basically, he was <laughs> he was going back to where he started, and he'd he'd spent that money just literally to go nowhere. Uh, so I don't know how that I don't know how that affects his week and his his scans or fitness checks he was having ahead of England. Um, but that, yeah, that's just an interesting insight into the life Sam's having at the moment in the south
3: of France. George, I've just looked at the at the previous Man of Steel, winners just when you was talking about yeah. forwards who don't really get the recognition uh, that they deserve. Uh, yeah. Apart from apart from hookers, the last prop, uh, the last forward, sorry, to to win the award was James Green, which came in two thousand eight. Yeah. yeah, which is which is pretty mad, I think, because it's it's the forwards who who build the platform, isn't it? But it's always going to be the the fullback and the halfback who. Obviously, reap the rewards because, because they run the team, don't they? But Brody Croft, fully deserved winner. He's had a an outstanding year, and I, I've just thoroughly enjoyed his, his development, and I think it's yeah. it's one of the best storylines that we'll see in rugby league this year.
0: Um let's uh let's spend a couple of minutes then wrapping up where we are at the end of the, of the, the super league season. Um we know Leeds and Saints. A rivalry renewed for the grand final. Um, absolutely uh, absolutely brilliant for fans of those two clubs. Less so for, for Catalan, who came up, up short, finished the season with a bit of a whimper, I thought, and, and Wigan, that, that that astonishing semi-final where they battered Leeds, absolutely battered Leeds for 40 minutes, only led 4-2. John Bateman had a bit of an ex- implosion or explosion and Leeds produced a, a, a terrific job to see it through. I guess the talking points... That came out of that centered around the disciplinary drew with with Morgan Knowles, you know, cast iron ban, two matches for the chicken win tackle, and, and Bateman got three, it could have been up to five. And obviously those bans impact England who have found a novel way around it, it seems, certainly with Bateman. Name him in the night squad instead. <laughs> what did yeah, you make uh, of that?
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, we got the, the press got wind of it yesterday that Bateman was going to be included in the in the night squad and I kind of just laughed at the time when I found out that it was going to be named uh, in the in the Knights team. It's we, we, it's it's kind of come full circle, hasn't it, with the bands this season? They, they have been pretty ridiculous. Some of the bands that we've seen handed out in Super League this season, and let's not get onto the farce that it's <laughs> the 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 bands carry over into the World Cup because I mean, how should England be punished for yeah. something that Bateman did while whilst he was playing for Wigan? Uh, nothing, right. nothing. Is, but a personally, personally, he clearly regretted what he did. He went to to Aidan Caesar straight away uh, after he was shown the the red card and and apologized to his former Canberra team. Uh, um, but I I don't know what to think of it. Of England actually using the the loophole. I know it's I know England comes under the RFL umbrella, but I think well in the loopholes though you may as well use it because yeah. I'm I'm. Well, I'm check- I think it'd be more I think it'd be more silly not to use a loophole if yeah,
0: that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I will tell you what I think. And I I know this is the Love Rugby League podcast. We are Love Rugby League and we do love rugby league, which is why we do what we do, but it absolutely infuriates me by the same token as it, it gives me joy. Like we 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 have shot ourselves in the foot so badly this year as a sport. This World Cup year that has been in the waiting so long, it's got so much time, money, preparation, stress, anxiety. The chief executive almost walked away when it was postponed because he just couldn't cope with it anymore. And the, the selfishness of the clubs, first and foremost, still couldn't create enough of a buffer in the calendar so that we get to the end of the, the year in the World Cup. Everyone's everyone's either injured or suspended now. And we, we want to go and put on a show for the world and win a home World Cup. Like yeah. We've increasingly got no chance of doing that because we went to that... That dream team press conference at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. Every player I spoke to either had a, a moon boot on, something around the knee. I said, "How are you?" and said, "Oh, I'm knackered." It's been a long, old season, hasn't it? We're supposed to be we're supposed to be gearing up for the World Cup, so we've absolutely destroyed our best players. And then when it comes to just before the World Cup, we're banning them with suspensions that run into an international. Now, football doesn't do that. It's like you get you, you get sent off in the Champions League, you don't miss the the next Premier League month. Mm. It's like. A, what are we doing? B, the, the the notion that you can find a loophole and play for England's reserves and get out of it is just an absolute nonsense. <laughs> but you're but you're right. If the loophole's there, use it.
3: Exactly. But it's a, loop, it's exactly. a
0: loophole. It's a loophole in your own system.
3: And, and, and we, just we have decided to go
0: heavier on the bands and now we now now it comes to the end of the season when it's working against us. We want to reel it back and say, no, that shouldn't be a three or a five. We made the rules.
3: I know, and and I noticed on Morgan Knowles' appeal, it, he uh, it didn't have his ban increased, did he? Well, I mean, how how is how is that less
0: frivolous than Leeds trying to get Reese Martin's ban overturned as well? It's not. The only difference is it affects the World Cup. Yeah, honestly, it makes me it makes me so mad. But, it makes me so I, frustrated. I
3: was I was I was pretty surprised with Christian Wolf's comments after the uh, after the semi final, mm. but he, he said he'd be flabbergasted if if Morgan Knowles was going to be suspended and, and ruled out of the grand final because I think that was clear as day when it happened yeah. that it was a, ch- a chicken wing tackle. I mean, you could see Atkin just went to ground straight away because his, his shoulder just went went from beneath him, didn't it, when, when it happened. Uh, Morgan Halls has been a terrific leader for Saints over over the last couple of years now and it has been an integral part of their success and their three-peat um, and possibly four-peat come, come this weekend. He's been a he's been a brilliant player, but I think he knew straight away, didn't he, that, that he was going to be uh, spending ten minutes in the bin. And you probably think, as a player as well, uh, at that point, you you must think that, all oh, right, I might be I might yeah I might be missing next week now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I was slightly flabbergasted at, at Wolves' comments after the game, but uh, it's. It, in one way as well, though it's a little bit of a shame, isn't it, for Knowles that he, he gets to he, that he has to to miss the grand final because he he's played the majority of the of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he he's barely had any injuries as well this season, and and then he has to to miss out at the last hurdle. But a ban's a ban, isn't it? I, su- I suppose
0: um, we we need to wrap up. Time time is beating us, but just a w- a quick word on the on the women's Super League grand final, which I know you were at and. Actually, to bring it full circle, we, we started and finished with Leeds. The men are in a grand final. The women have won a grand final. The wheelchair are in a grand final. And the PDRL team have already won their grand final. I mean, what, what a calendar year for the Rhino.
3: Yeah, a, a brilliant year for, for Leeds, isn't it? Not not so brilliant year for, for the supporters of all the other clubs, though, because uh, it seems like Leeds are getting back to the glory days once again, George. But but the the women's game was... Magnificent! I was really entertained throughout. It was a, a close contest. York didn't didn't give up. They didn't lie down. They they came back through a, a spectacular try through Hooker uh, Sinead Peach. She had a, a fantastic performance. But but the outstanding player for me was was Caitlin Beavers. Two tries mm. for for the Rhino. She's just a threat. She like every time she gets the ball, the the opposition de- defense really struggles to to pin her down. She's She's got rapid speed and and I was just like I, I'm I just continue to be impressed every every time I watch the women's game from from where it came in 2018 in its first ever season as as the women's super league to where it is now it's it's astonishing I mean and I mean this with with the greatest intent that I think the women's game is rugby league's secret weapon of, mm. for growth. Um, yeah, 100%. I think if we are to do anything and if we are to break through barriers and do something on the international game then the women's game will be pivotal to that
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more, uh, we'll leave it there lots to uh, lots to ponder uh, make sure you stay across Love rugby League's social channels we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter you can comment on any of the articles as well on our uh, website and make sure you listen and subscribe and download and review if you can the podcast every single week apple spotify wherever you get them from tell your mate and uh, we'll be back with another one uh, this time next week see you then
1: for listening to the love rugby league podcast know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode eager for more rugby league news visit loverugbyleague.com sports
0: social podcast network